welcome to Talk Art to Me. I'm your host, Abe and Lex. And today we're going to be talking about the movies we've seen from like November 2020 to January 22nd. You mean November 2022? You said 2020. I'm like, dang, we going all the way back? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. 2022. All right. So, do you remember any of the movies? Now, we have been not posting for a good three months now. We're coming down from the holiday high of being around our family. Also, happy Black History Month. Forgot to say yes. that. <laughs> um, are you doing anything special for February? Writing. And... Just like reposting any type of black art that I see, that I see being posted right now on Tumblr. Okay. Because, you know, reblogs is what helps the artist, yeah. not just likes. Yes, the spreading of the word of who they are. All right. Um, do you remember anything you watched in November at all? Actually, we didn't really watch anything in November. Um, besides movies wise. wise, we did watch Bones and All, and we watched Knives Out. Just not during the holiday. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so let's get into the movies that we've recently seen, and then we can go backwards in time. Okay. Let's go to the movies that we right. freshly remember. So, you've experienced going to the movies by yourself for the first time. Yes. How was it? It was interesting because I went not like a normal time to be by yourself. I went during matinee, during a, you know, work day, school day. So, there wasn't that many people. And except for like old people or like couples on dates that are old. Um, so cute couples, okay. Yes, and because I went to see an A24 film, um, I did not know that certain A24 films that are not like horror-based, like Hereditary, did not know that they just did not have that big of a showing. Um, yeah. And that also when it came to A24, <laughs> it's just the fact that the promotion was not as high for this movie I went to see, which is The Whale. Yeah. which is the new Brendan Fraser movie that came out after, you know, years of him being blacklisted due to him t- basically being one of the first people to come out with his own Me Too story before the movement even started. Mm. Um, but, you know, he was a male, and at the time, is still very heavily predatory um, and predatory accepting during his time as a film um, an actor. Yeah, he, um, he disappeared way before the Me Too movement, so it would make sense that people wouldn't believe his story right away, especially nobody really believes, like, male victims, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just like, you're a man, you could fight them off, and it's just like, that still doesn't mean that they're not subject to those types of things. Exactly, so it was this big comeback movie, and everybody who's Brenda... Brendan Fraser fan was making it a big deal because you know they thought he had died he had fell off from the face of the earth there was just so many rumors about what happened to the next big star in Hollywood because you know he was for the time the Indiana Jones guy from the 90s yeah, that's true. he was a very big guy in in Hollywood for a while um the last I remember seeing him was when he was like doing photography and he had 
an insanely long lens on the end of his camera and he was like angrily taking photos and that was like the last thing I've ever heard about him and then someone was just making fun of like how big his camera was and I'm just like okay but still what is he doing and ever since then that was it yeah so how was he in the movie so this movie was not just his movie but also Sadie Sink the redheaded girl who is on Stranger Things is like debut as an adult actor hmm, from okay. so this is her transitioning movie to solidify that she's not a child actor anymore so okay. this is also like them playing off of each other from young and old because Brendan Fraser is like very much known by like the millennials and the Gen Xers and then like you know we have this Gen Z actor who can't even recall really like who he is because she was too like it was literally before her time and once she met him then she like was like watching his movies and figuring out who is this Brendan Fraser dude that's so big so it was a very interesting take on the outside of the movie of seeing like two different generations and how much they mean to their separate generations coming together for once. Nice. Yeah, to make this like very dramatic, very psychological dramatic film called The Whale. And so basically with The Whale, um, we definitely see a father wound type of deal happening. Brendan Fraser's character is a father and he has abandoned his family, his daughter who is Sadie Sink's character, and his wife to be with his gay lover that he used to teach, um, because right now he's still currently a professor at a college. And once his lover has died, he gained a massive amount of weight. He's always been big, he's claims, but now he starts binge eating to cope with just all the negative feelings that he has about himself because he has a lot of self-image and self-esteem and issues and he just has a very bad perception of himself Hmm. so he's only able to like survive because he is allowed to work remotely Hmm, so that's why like it's a very much like a bottle episode I was telling my friend this the other day where you just stay in one area now, we don't stay in that one room, but we do stay in his apartment. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we do see, like, his two-bedroom apartment. Very low and budget. All, yes. And we barely see the outside of his apartment either. They just show, like, the front door aspect, because he's on the second floor. So they show, like, that. He has no balcony or anything. So they just kind of sit some... He has a sitting area in the front. But it's an apartment, so it's... How big is the sitting area? Not that big. Hmm. Just enough for, like, a chair and stuff like that. So, with him, he um, has many different, um, he has many different philosophies going around. Because he is a professor, he's not just a professor, he's like an English professor. He likes to read the truth. Even if it hurts, even if it's disgusting, he values honesty. Which reminded me of you with the whole, you know, be honest no matter what the feelings may you know come through and when his daughter comes by to visit because he wants to um speak to her for the last moments of his life he finds out that he is on track to die with his blood pressure being like just way too high and he refuses to go to the hospital he doesn't want to be seen 
in mm. that way. He's more of a written word person than a physically visual person. Mm -hmm. So when he contacts his daughter through Facebook secretly, because he's like not supposed to talk to her through the divorce because of the whole... He, Is it like a restraining order? Or? Um, it was more like implied that that was the deal that he made with the woman who he hurt because oh, she was like, okay. you only use me to have a child. Okay. And that type of deal. And then you end up abandoning the child anyways. Hmm. Because you wanted to bring your gay lover to the house when I'm not around. Hmm. You know, and you know, there's a big scene where the daughter is very mad at him. Because she's all like, you cook steaks and you never cook steaks. But when he was around, then suddenly we get like the fancy meals. Hmm. and stuff so she, that was her core like the boyfriend better yeah and in the daughter's eyes when she has like that core memory uh -huh. that makes her be all like i don't like yeah my father. yes okay. once she realizes and then it's like oh she ends up he ends up leaving with him and that the, the boyfriend he also has a lot of like image issues as well about his um faith so he has a lot of identity crisis with that, and he just could never get over that. Even when he, you know, fell in love with the church, he still couldn't find a way to, like, mesh the holiness version of himself with the supposed sinful self of being gay, and he ends up, like, killing himself. And that's what hurts the father so much, because he thought that, oh, he thought his love would be enough to, like, get rid of his suicidal feelings, but it was deeper than that. Mm. Yeah, so when he's trying to connect with the daughter, he wants her to write things for him because she's over here like, if you want to see me, then write my papers for me because I'm failing class. Mm -hmm. And when she writes like very hurtful things to him, um, and it's very short too, he's like, oh, he's first disappointed like she is not- Is she texting him? No, they're like, she came to the house actually. She's like- well, how's, how's she writing to him? Um, he gives he gives her a paper while she's visiting, so she'll like write in a notepad in the corner while he's in another part of the room. Oh, okay. Yes, and he'll be like excited when he sees that. Oh, she might have said these horrible things about how she doesn't like to write and how I'm a piece of shit, but she did a haiku. Like he's seeing like the beauty in her even when she's mad because in his mind he knows he messed her up. And he wants to, before he goes, to make things right, to let her know that she is a good person and that she doesn't have to be this whirlwind of a terror because he essentially messed her up with, you know, everything that happened. Like, especially with her knowing what, you know, your gay lover that he ran off with looked like because yeah. you brought him to the house. Yeah. Yeah, so like a lot of audacity with him so he's trying to make sure he has one good thing done in this world because he already blamed himself for the gay lover for killing himself hmm. and okay. all that jazz and in between that we have the mom that actually shows up to you know say i didn't want to tell you about her or kept you away from her because she felt like she was a bad mother so they both are like connecting with them both feeling like bad parents to their daughter in different regards and um did the father do did he eat a lot before he ran away no he didn't okay it in fact it's actually a bit shocking for the daughter when she f sees him after so many years of them not looking at each other and she's all like what happened to you 
you're like disgusting and all that stuff. She really wants to hit hard mm-hmm. because she's hurting still from her dad. Mm. And so like when the mother comes to visit the ex-wife, she also was all like, oh, why didn't you like say anything that I got this bad and stuff? So mm. that's why he's been hiding away. The only person who knows is the gay lover's adopted sister who is the one that visits and checks up on him. She was the one that did his blood pressure and found out that he needs to go to the hospital or else he'll die. And he's like, well, I'd rather just make my amends hmm. than try to, like, survive. Hmm. Okay. Yes. And then they have this interesting outside plot point, um, which is the boy, this missionary boy who is in the same type of religion as the dead boyfriend that like killed himself he comes by trying to save um brendan fraser's character and at the time we don't know what he's trying to save brendan fraser's character from if he's just one of those jehovah witness people who's just like just come join my religion and then as the week progresses because this movie is the time span of their week um as the movie progresses it goes from him trying to like understand brendan fraser's character as how he got so big maybe he needs you know christ in his life to him believing that yes he is sinful for being gay and he's trying to like change him for that and brendan fraser's character is all like so you think i'm disgusting don't you and he's all like yes i do finally he like got the truth out of him because yeah but it's also nice to see him be rageful towards the missionary boy because we get a split second to see like oh this is where his daughter gets that rage and outburst from Hmm. except with him obviously he does it in a more mature way than her like just outwardly trying to be like i hate everybody yeah because he was giving this boy a lot of grace Hmm. for him not knowing the boy felt uh motivated to help him because he was so big or because he knew that he was gay he felt motivated to help him at first because he wasn't really supposed to be out there. They stopped doing missionary calls. But for him, he felt like the church wasn't doing enough. And when he had a dispute and a little infight with the leader of his sector, he ended up like stealing the communion money to hightail it to a different state completely. And so he's like basically putting on airs that they still do missionary work. And he's found out eventually um, that, you know, you're a lie because they stopped doing that two years ago. What's your real story? And that's how the daughter finds out the real story by sneak recording him, confess that, you know, how he ended up all the way out here. But he like grabbed a list of people that needed, like that they had on their like, oh, come save them list. Now, mind you, Brendan Fraser's character did not put himself like on that. These are just them imposing again. So it's also like a religious type of deal where it's like how religion imposes on your life even when you did not ask for it to knock on your door. Mm-hmm. And how the missionary boy was basically there not to really like out or show his hatred or his bigoted mindset towards Brendan Fraser's character, but Brendan Fraser saw it as a good sign because the boy was afraid to go back home because he stole the missionary money and everything. And if it, because he got recorded by Brendan Fraser's daughter, 
she posted it online on Facebook and they were able to find him and say that they don't care about the money that he stole, they just want him home. And then, and that makes him want to go back home now because he had this big guilt thinking that, oh, it's ruined forever. But he's a teenage boy, just like the daughter is, so they have... Feel, everything feels like the end of the world. Yeah. So Brandon Fraser thinks that, oh, he's finally done something wrong. He's like, but she did bring you back to your family, though. Like, my daughter, who everyone keeps saying is a real piece of work, even, you know, her mother did something good. And that was the joke where the dude said, well, I don't know if she did it out of spite or if she actually wanted to help me. But it ended up being in his favor because he could go back home now and I mean, not be I don't run really away. Think, I don't really think intent matters here. So long as, like, the end result. It's like, yeah. it's mostly about the result of your actions, not necessarily your intent. Yes. You know? So, it was just a very interesting film in the fact that if you've never been... Um, sympathetic towards like why would a gay person marry a woman and produce children with her and then possibly like leave and decide to free themselves by living their gay life but at the expense of someone else because they didn't think to do this before they made a child and committed yeah. to a family that thought that's a that they other, had it. That's yes. a whole other bag of so, societal worms. Yes, yeah, so they really packed in a lot for this, like, How long movie. was the movie? The movie is like a standard, like, an hour, 20, hour, hour 30. 30 hour it's 20. an A24 film, so it's not going to be it's too long. Be long. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, what were some of the major themes? I say the major theme would be forgiveness, obviously. Um, also acceptance. He really values honesty. And um, we could tell this because even though old girl was speaking very harshly towards her father and was very unforgiving, he accepted her anger. He accepted that he was a driving force in that anger. Mm. And he, so he always took responsibility in that. He never said, well, you know, it's because I'm this or it's because that. He never made up any excuses with her. Yeah. And he also, because he teaches remotely, he was still insecure about his weight. So he never showed his camera. He never put his camera on when he was with his students until the very last time where he uh, ends up getting himself fired for um, an assignment that he like uh, used offensive language in where he says he just wants to read something fucking real for once and stuff. Mm. And um, on his last day of the class, he finally, you know, he's like, well, I wanted you guys to be honest with me because he read everyone's prompts that they turned in online, virtual, like Blackboard or something. Mm -hmm. And he says, now it's my turn to be honest with you because I would be a hypocrite. And that's when he shows his face. And the students, of course, because they see how big he is. And even though they're college, they're still... Know, very um, small-minded where they're like, you know, some of them look very like appalled, some of them look shocked, disgusted, some of them are laughing, like a nervous laugh or a taunting laugh. And then he like ends up just smashing his computer to pieces. And that's when he goes on this binge because he doesn't think that his daughter is gonna come back to see him. He's also ruined the only human connection he has, which is the gay lover's adopted sister when she's all like, oh, well, you had all this money sitting around in your bank account. You made me think that you were poor while I was trying to help you. And he's like, well, that money is for my daughter. Like, mm. this money is for, I didn't want to touch anything. She's like, well, you knew I had car troubles. I ran, I like went in to get you groceries in the snow. 
Yeah. And he's all like, well, you never asked if you wanted your car fixed. And she's like, because I thought you had $700 in your account and that was it. Like you had nothing else to your name. So that was like a very big blowout. But like eventually everybody comes to see him and his daughter comes back. And the daughter finally says, daddy. She finally calls him like, you are my father. Because before she was just calling him slurs and you know she's actually saying you know slurs <laughs> to yeah. him about his sexuality and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff but um she finds out that he really does love her because he kept the last thing that she wrote to him that he got from the mother because the mom would send assignments sometimes which was her eighth grade paper about why she doesn't care about this story that she was forced to read for english class and he thought it was so raw and he thought it was so real. And the many times that he thinks he's going to die throughout the week because of his um, heart and his high blood pressure due to the binge eating, he always tries to make her words the last thing he sees before he dies. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. At first, we don't know why he cares about this poem or this um this paper so much. Of course, much. like if you just keep watching it, yes. it reveals. Yes. But he does love his daughter, just not in the way that she needed to be loved at that time. Yes. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I mean, it sounds like a really grueling drama. Oh, it was definitely not for the weak. I will say, I see why it was rated R, even without a certain scene in there. It was just a very heavy, very dense topic, and it seemed no one was happy there. Not many people were smiling at all in that film, and there was only five people in the film, which was the mother slash ex-wife, him, Brendan Fraser, Sadie Sink's character as the daughter, the missionary boy, and the dead did lovers. Have, did anyone have like a name? Um, or did they just- They had names. Were they forgettable? They were very forgettable names because they didn't say them that much. Yeah. It was more like a presence type of feel. Yeah. So like. And you don't really say a person's name. Yeah. You know, with them because they know that you're talking. Okay. Yes. Oh, oh, and there's this one character, very brief, is this pizza delivery man who wants to like you know, figure out who this mysterious dude is that always orders pizza around like I guess a certain amount of time, and he never opens the door. He just leaves the money in the mailbox which is Brendan Fraser he's leaving the money in the mailbox and so that's how that happens he's a very brief character but he really wants to like figure out what's going on yeah does that go anywhere um it does eventually where he you know says he's taking the money now and then um, like does he ever get to know him oh no he doesn't he just gets to see what he looks like that actually is what prompts the binger because that was like his sense of control being taken away for the first time where he opens the door and he thinks he's gonna grab his pizza like usual but then he stops and he looks up and he sees that the pizza delivery man hasn't you know gone in his car to drive away like always he's waiting on the stairs to see what this guy looks like Hmm. why doesn't he ever open the door and hand me money Hmm. yeah Now, we did see a couple of movies together in December, January. Um, I think one of the first ones was, was it Black Panther, Pinocchio, Yeah, Bones and All, 
Violent Night. Oh, uh, Violent Night was in December. Oh. And um, I think Pinocchio was in December, too. Okay. So which one do you want to talk about? Let's just go. Just pick one. Just pick one? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we watched so many. Well, Violent Night was for my birthday in December. I have the dude that plays the police officer in Stranger, Stranger Things, Things in it. Um, it was a interesting, slightly predictable tale. Um, I like that the Christmas magic was real. Mm, yes. Because I was just like, oh, okay. Um, I love the opening when he just vomits on the lady. I thought that was funny. Yeah. I mean, it was predictable, but still. It was giving me early 2000s girl-sad humor. Yeah, it was. Somebody wanted to go back to that time. Yes. Um, I really liked the take on the heist. The characters were interesting. The Home Alone shenanigans, the booby traps, that was fun. Yeah, it's very much like, what do they call it? A dark comedy, thriller, action, adventure, and mystery, because we don't know who is exactly trying to hurt this uber-rich family. Yeah, there was like... A lot of fake-outs, a lot of twists and turns. There was like two fake-outs, I think. Yeah. Um, and... And also, where'd the money go? (laughs) Yeah. That... That was the, uh, that was one of the third ones. Um, but yeah, that was an enjoyable movie. Would I watch it again for Christmas? Sure, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I would put it in as the background. They did really humanize Santa. Like, the pain was felt with oh, the yeah. characters. He, it wasn't he like he was a superhero. Wound. He's he not bleeding and everything. Yeah, he's not Thor getting back up after, like, getting sent 15,000 miles in the air. Like, he takes his time to get up. Um, like those basketball players that fall down, you know. Yeah, I like... thought, um, I thought that it was gonna be just his jolliness that was gonna get him through the mm. entire thing, but they actually made the violence with him anyway, the Santa character, quite literal, which I mean, it's a little, it's, you know, it's not bad. humorous. It was humorous. It's just that it's like, uh oh. And they are very you can tell gory. When Santa's like getting slow, he's not gonna, you know, be able to fight, you know. Yeah. And things are very, shape. things are very bloody. And it almost Jeez. was like they were treating Santa like Jesus with the whole, you have to believe in him for him to live. Yeah, they didn't really do. And the villain was very comical. If you've ever seen Phineas and Ferb, he was kind of giving me Doofenshmirtz vibes, which is. Something so little made you this, you know, villainous. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, the Joker's killing joke, where it's like, all it takes is a bad day for a good guy to go insane type of joke. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, that makes sense. It tracks. Overall, it was an enjoyable movie. There's not a whole lot to be said about it. Uh, I mean, it's a holiday movie. What can you say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, it was a nice treat for my birthday. Um, my I mean, other, the other uh, movie that we saw, uh, our favorite movie, Beans and All, aka Bones and All. We call it Beans and All because there was like a Freudian slip where uh, we were gonna eat beans for dinner, and that wasn't gonna be the only thing we ate. It was gonna be like a side dish. It was like baked beans. And somehow, some way, beans were on the brain, and so instead of saying bones, we said beans and all. So. Bones and all. Um, I do have notes for this. So, 
we did see Bones and All, and Bones and All is directed by Luca Guada. Oh, I'm gonna say this wrong. Guada Gino. He's an Italian director. He also made Call Me By Your Name and Suspiria. Suspirion. Um, and we got Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet in the film as Marin and Lee. Um, Taylor Russell played in the first movie that I saw her in was in Dr. Bird's Advice for Poets. Uh, for sad poets, my bad. And her name in there was Sophie. And everybody knows Timothy Chalamet, but he was in Call Me By Your Name, Little Women, Lady Bird, and Beautiful Boy. Also The King and The French Dispatch. So, um, in this film, it was a small viewing as well. And we only had like maybe three people in there. There was a couple and an old man in there with us watching this film. And I gotta say, it was interesting. There's a whole lot to dissect about the movie because it, it was very subtle. And it artsy. It reminded me, yes, very artsy, I forgot to Art say. Art house. Um, well, I mean, you know... It's uh, A24. It also is an A24 film, that is correct. But also, uh, the director, Luca, he kind of sort of, that's like his thing, to direct subtle movies in that way. Also, very hard to swallow movies if it was anyone else that did it. Yeah, he has this weird ability to make strange movies tolerable and not, like, completely alienate the watcher of the film. Um, I was surprised that uh, Chloe Sivin, Sivine, Sivine? I know I'm messing up her name. Um, she was Nicolette in Big Love. And she was also in American Psycho as Jean. And um, the first time I saw her was in Boys Don't Cry as Alana. Um, she was Janelle. She was the mother of the main character, Marin, in the film. I was surprised to see her in there. Um, she barely had any speaking parts. There was like a voiceover because she left her daughter a, a letter to read. <laughs> Correction, it's not an A24 film. Oh, it's not? I'm mixing it up. Oh, that's fine. A human error. Um, thank you for your correction, though. Um, I was surprised to see her in here because, well, I haven't really seen her in a whole lot recently, but this was interesting to see her play this. Um, even though she was in there for a short time, her, uh, her presence in there is very visceral. She's a very feely actress to me. She plays a lot of like those roles of quiet anger, simmering anger types, and I really enjoyed her. Um, anyway, with the film, it is a drama, romance, horror, a little bit of a coming of age, road trip type vibe, and it's also set in the 80s. So the fashion there is a little wonky and weird, but still very interesting, very visually appealing. Um, I really liked the way this film was filmed. It was pretty. I liked the, because they were on the road, I really liked the landscape type of shots that they, that they had. And the symbolism for the eating. The consumption. Um, the consumption. Um, I remember, uh, I haven't read the book, but I have heard people talk about the book of the same name, Bones and All. 
Um, oh, and the book was by, let me check my notes, American novelist Camilla DeAngelis. She also made like self-help books as well. But um, in the book, it talks about how the main character, Marin, she only feels compelled to eat when she feels immense love for the person. Um, and then, of course, when she meets Lee, she learns kind of, sort of, how to, not necessarily hunt, but she, like, develops her own uh, mor moral code. Now, she does run into an older guy named Sully, played by Mark Rylance. He was in a lot of stuff, apparently. He was in the BFG. Um, that's an animated movie. He was the BFG. He yeah, like, big friendly giant. Yes, he he was the dude that was talking because he voiced the big friendly giant. He was also in Dunkirk as Mr. Dawson. Um, and he was a creepy old dude with a tiny voice. I don't understand how he can be so creepy, but also harmless. And it was like a strange back and forth of him being a harmless dude. To then remembering oh yeah he does eat people um i found myself throughout the film thinking oh wow this is just like any other film of a coming of age tale and then getting reminded oh yeah that's right they do eat people <laughs> um but i think it was a beautiful also kind of sort of like a romance um horror thing it I, is I labeled liked... a romance actually Oh yeah, I it's forgot that I mentioned that. I, I did like horror and the... romance and road because of the trips. Yes, the because they were in the drive. Yes, they were taking people's cars. I really liked um, the romance part of it because I thought, oh, they like each other. Mm. I was like, see, look at that. They can still find love even if they eat people. Um, even though they had like different ways of making up excuses of eating people, I found it interesting. Um, early in the movie too when she mentions um, they had like a barn scene where they're just sitting watching the pigs do pig things and Marin was talking to Lee about how all of these animals have a mom and a dad and I thought that was interesting of her to say that they all have families and stuff which I understand for her you know she doesn't know her mom because her mom left them and she was raised by her dad so she didn't really have a good sense of what a family meant so with her mentioning that you know the farm animals all had families and then later on you know they kill and eat a person at, at a carnival and then they later on discover when they get his wallet they go to his house they see that there is a family there and she feels terrible that they ate a man with a family um but the thing is is like when they do first meet each other, Lee and, and Marin, um, we see Lee kill like a very not a very so creepy, good dude. unsavory guy. Yeah, he was like shouting. He was drinking in the store, being very belligerent to and, his mother. Yes, he just did not have a good vibe around women or anyone yeah. of female identifying. And we soon get to see that when they go to his house, like. Lee comes out with, you know, the dude's keys, obviously drenched in blood and stuff from eating him. And um, he picks up Marin and, you know, they go to the dude's house, their victim's house, his victim's house, because Marin didn't eat him. Lee did. 
and they see like he didn't live in the best of things he had you know porn all on the walls um but funny enough lee was the first one to point out that he had a, an amazing collection of, of music and i was like well you know <laughs> i don't know what to say about a dude that has a really good collection of music but also has horrible views on women and objectifying them so who's to say what's to say about character so there is like little to no guilt with eating him because he wasn't a good guy he didn't come home to a family you know um he was alone in the world so they're like he's okay to eat um i think too uh, interest ugh, i can't speak an interesting part was when they run into um the hillbilly looking guy and the police officer who was a normal person but he wanted to get into eating people and the farmer the weird hillbilly looking guy um who was an eater was just like oh i'm an eater and he saw me eating but he didn't arrest me he was more intrigued about the eating than anything because Marin was like, oh yeah, I can smell him. He doesn't smell like one of us. And Marin gets freaked out. He's like, oh, it's fine. You know, yeah, I'm a police officer. I'm not going to arrest you guys for killing and eating people. I want to know how to do that thing too. And that's when they mentioned, you know, the title of the of the book and the movie, Bones and All. Um, and I think when it comes to the eating and the symbology of the eating which is you basically taking on that person. Now, they didn't really show too many mythical, mystical things happening when they were eating, but they described their eating as like them feeling high. So I know that they are able to sustain themselves with eating other things. Like we saw them eating breakfast food, you know, we saw them eating eggs and bacon and things, but like, so we know that they don't have to eat a person to you know maintain their life it's like something else comes over them to eat anyway did you have anything you want to say about the film um i did like how regardless if they were um cannibals or not that they really showed a common thing that most young girls and women have to go through which is having an older man latch onto you emotionally and having to deal with that older man, having this projection of what you should be to him. Mm. Because she was minding her own business and she was approached, as most women and young girls are, by um, an older man. And when she left, he could not let her go. Even though, again, they did not have that long of a time to bond together. And even though they did eat a person together, it wasn't like it was supposed to be a forever thing. Yeah. And I just appreciated how it showed that this man is determined to chase after what he thinks is the realest thing that has ever happened in his very long life yeah. versus Marin having a very short life and knowing that this is just, you know, a stepping stone to someplace else. And she has a right to be freaked out that she's technically being stalked by this man. And it's actually interesting how she can be a predator, but also be preyed upon. Yeah. Whereas the men who are eaters do not have that problem. 
Yeah, we hardly ever see like any of like the me- the male characters in the movie feel like they are in danger. Whereas with Marin, she's both a woman and an eater, and so it's like just more trouble. So yeah, I get that. Yes. And um, I do appreciate how she and Lee were able to find kinship with each other and that it was a very natural progression that they found each other. They weren't actively trying to find each other. They weren't trying to search for this big giant meaning. And it's because of Lee not being as pushy and being as, you know, stalker or predator like Sully is towards Marin that Marin chooses to be with him. Yeah. And even though she leaves both men twice at one point, um, Lee is not going to stalk her. He waits for her to return if she decides to return on her own, giving her a choice that Sully never um, ever imagined to give her. Yeah. Which again shows, you know, who do I that, want to be safe with? Exactly. Not only that, but um, Sully does fall prey to like paranoia and delusion because um, he comes into the picture saying that like, oh, I started thinking about you and I got a little freaked out, you know, because like, I don't want you to run into the police and all that jazz. And it's just like any logical person, especially if they were both eaters, would know that that's not a good idea because she's killed and eaten people too yes. it would make no sense for her to go to the police she's just as guilty you know he doesn't have trust he, like lee does with her yeah lee lee knows um he hasn't been around that long but lee's like he knows that he's not going to be like put in any danger with Marin. if anything he would try to you know protect Marin. Um, because that was his nature, you know, because in the film too, he mentions how he had to fight his own father yes, uh, to protect, you know, his little sister and him. And so he already has that mindset of, oh, I got to protect. And, um, he also mentioned too, that he doesn't eat women. So I thought that was interesting that he had his own little code. Um, whereas with Sully, we didn't know... But we already knew that he eats women. Yeah. So we he, saw in the very beginning that yes. Sully... Because the first, the first victim, Marin and uh, Sully's victim together, was a dying old woman. Um, which was interesting as well, because as they were eating, I think you mentioned this too, they were showing pictures of her and her family. So even though Marin was like, well, I don't eat people with families, it's like, well... She already has. You already have. And I don't know if she's ever thought about that. Like, this movie is very subtle. So there's not a whole lot of, you know, talking or showing us the thought process of a lot of these characters. I know it's a very uh, small character, character sheet, too. They've been to many different places, mostly open fields, but, like, the cast is very small. And so there's not a whole lot of internal dialogue which I I feel like it would have really been nice to have the extra layer of trying to figure out what their thought process was of these types of things anyway 
I think it was a beautiful story of trying to find your place in the world. I really enjoyed the film. As confusing and as weird and strange as it was. So, um, also, given that there is an author in a book, I wouldn't read it because I heard that the book was even more frustrating than the movie. There's things that happen in the book that never get explained, even though it's, they could have explained it's it. It's very flowery. It's, it's very flowery when you read the book. It reads more like a poem, oh, and poems okay. are not that descriptive. Like that. Okay. Yeah, so that's why if you're not reading it in that mindset, then you'll be all like, these pretty words don't make any sense <laughs> yeah. in their minds. And I know some people were complaining about how they showed more of the romance element with Marin and Lee that yeah. wasn't really discussed or showcased that much in the book, which is like they only like have one kiss in the book versus yeah. the many times Marin and Lee are shown to be like, you know, star-crossed lovers that are just, you know, can yeah. they be together? Can they make this work? Is there happiness for them? Yeah. Oh, okay. Alright, um, the next thing, I watched a movie by myself, and the movie that I watched was The Menu. Um, I already kind of sort of knew what it was, because I watched a little bit of the trailer, and like three seconds in, I already knew that I wanted to see it. Um... Now, watching the film, it was the quintessential eat the rich type of film. It was about this high-end chef that basically made it in the world. He is so sought after that he has this private little island and you have to be invited to eat there. And I think people do pay, so they pay and then they get invited. I think there's also like a waiting list and all that too. And so these people who go there are people that have a lot of money to blow. But the thing is, is that all they do is consume. They don't necessarily consciously consume and like actually appreciate the food that they're getting. They're now, not savoring. Yeah, like they're eating it, but they're not eating it like, oh wow, I'm so happy that I have this. Like... You know, like eating your favorite food and stuff like that. Anyway, um, there's an element of surprise here, is that one of the guests is not who they say they are. And it does turn out that the guest uh, has no idea what's going on until some shit goes down. Um, and I don't want to spoil too much of it because it really is a, a really interesting film. Um, but. There are people that die. And there's like a cult type thing vibe going on. It's just something that I have not seen before. And I did not know that I would enjoy watching. Um, in the end, it was mostly about finding that spark of what got you here in the first place. You know, like keeping it simple. Because there were all manner of people there that were partaking in uh, this chef's food. And the chef at this point, now that they've reached the top, they don't have enjoyment of that thing anymore. And it kind of gets me thinking about how people are like, oh, well, 
I want to be an artist. And then they start losing the why. They start to think, oh, well, this isn't a good piece. And, oh, this isn't my best work. And it's like, you have to remember, you said you wanted to be an artist. You didn't say you wanted to be the best. You didn't say you wanted to be the best that ever did it. You said you wanted to be an artist. And that means you're going to make shitty art. You're going to make down bad art. Some art is going to be good. Some art is going to be atrocious. But that is it. That is what being an artist is. It's not up to you to decide, you know, whether you want to be the the greatest or the best. And so this particular guy being a chef, being the best that ever has ever done it, um, he no longer finds enjoyment in it because he has to serve people that aren't truly grateful for his work. And so he's like, what is the point of being the best if I'm around pretentious, rich assholes that just want to pick apart my food and tell me that it's not good enough? So I really enjoyed the film, especially the commentary, not just on consumerism and you know, the working class against the non-working class, you know, the people that hold our paychecks versus the people that earn the paychecks. I think it also is a really good commentary on people who are struggling to be creative in any sense, whether it be creating meals or creating a household or creating anything, period. Mm. I think a lot of people get caught up in, oh, this is good art or this is good creation versus bad creation. It's like, you never asked yourself that. You just said, I want to create. And therefore, you do. You don't have to cast judgment on it. And so, I thought it was just really interesting. I really enjoyed the film. I would watch it again. Um, The food in there did remind me of Always Be My Maybe. Mm. Where it's like they had a bubble for dinner. Oh, yes, for dessert. Oh, yes, a bubble for dessert. (laughs) Because a lot of that food that the guy served, I was just like, I would still be hungry. Because that's just not enough food for me. Mm. Um, anyway, anyway, <clears throat> I really enjoyed that film. Um, some of the other films we watched was Knives Out. I really enjoyed Knives Out. There was a lot of controversy about it, like, not being, like the best because of how dumb it was and how there was way too many twists I thought it was a lot of controversy because it also at the right time right place came during the whole Twitter debacle of Elon Musk um, kind of reminding everyone of the main villain of Knives Out as well (laughs) with buying things that you don't understand yes Okay. And I thought that was also a parallel as well towards it. And also the fact that people were just not used to it going from the tone of the original Knives Out, which was slightly comedic, but more on the drama mystery element. Mm -hmm. Whereas Knives Out Glass Onion is still a mystery, but with more comedy towards it. Hmm. Where there's more jokes and there was more um, just lightheartedness. Um, seeing this is this is a movie that is post and during pandemic versus the first one, which was before the pandemic. Oh, yeah. So now, you know, they don't want to make it things too dark. Yeah, uh, I get it. Because people are still getting out of that depression um, 
Oh yeah, no, I get so, it. Yeah. So I feel like that was also like the controversy thing of how different tone it was, but also it was supposed to be a vacation movie technically. So that's why it was the way it was, which was him having um, not that serious of a role because he expected to be vibing out. Yeah, the detective. Yes. I mean, it is an island. Yeah. So. So he didn't do, like, a majority of the work. Um, because, yes, he was on vacation, but also everything was so dumb that he's like, that's my weakness. I can't do dumb things. Yes. He... It's, it's kind of silly, like, how in the first Knives Out, like, the main girl's thing was is that if she lies, she would throw up. Yes. So it's like that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Also, with the Knives Out 2, I kind of expected it to be like a cool, fun, like mystery house thing, like how they had with the first one. But I get that if he did try to do the same movie again with the house, it probably wouldn't have been as much fun. Or it's interesting. That house was just a very iconic design. Yeah, I mean, it was atrocious. It was ugly, but I loved it. I love that ugly house. I think what they wanted to do was show a different type of ugly house, which was the gaudiness of the rich people. Because it's just one man. He has no children. He has no slew of women that he, you know, keeps around net and deck. So it really is just a bunch of wasted space. And again, I found it also interesting that we barely see any of the help. And what help we do hear about is... Um, like a Siri type of person or a Cortana type of person is not a real person yeah. that's talking to you. Like, no smoking in the garden. Yeah. It's a full-on smart house, or smart mansion, rather. Alright. Well, I know Knives Out was a really fun watch. Mm, yes, I know a lot um, of people also said they do appreciate him giving um, women, especially um, women of color, women of color, downtrodden women. Mm. their time to shine because he never really um, oversteps the boundaries he just helps solve the case yeah I think that was pretty cool as well mm-hmm. um, I would watch it again even though I know already <laughs> well there was a nice little jokes yeah. that and like these there are some things in the movie where it's like you would want to rewatch it again not just for the mystery element, but because they did make every character interesting to watch, which is very hard to do when you have so many people. Um, I would say that this was better than Death on the Nile yeah. in terms of caring about the characters, even if the characters are not as despicable as the people in Knives Out. Yeah. They're fun to watch. Yeah. Though we don't agree on them. Oh no, I mean, they are horrible people. Uh, if they were real life people. Yes. But um, they are fun to watch. Um, one of the other movies that we watched together, uh, we saw in theaters, was When You Finish Saving the World. This was by Jesse Eisenberg. The same dude that was in Zombieland, Adventureland. Social Network? I think, yeah, I think he was the Social Network guy. Social Network guy. And I remember first seeing him in... The Squid and the Whale. And that's like a an indie movie type of thing. Um, also, I had no idea that... Wait. I thought he was Hiccup. I don't... Was no. he Hiccup? I never, I never looked at the voice actors you know what? for that. I think that might be someone else. I might be thinking of someone else. 
You are. Okay, no, yeah, that is the that's a different guy. Okay, never mind then. He was not in How to Train Your Dragon. I don't know why I thought he was. <laughs> anyway, we follow Ziggy and Evelyn, which is a mother-son duo in this movie. Ziggy is played by Finn Wolfhard. He's in one of the main characters of Stranger Things. And Evelyn plays, I'm sorry, Julianne Moore plays Evelyn. She was in The Kingsman as Poppy. Um, and also The Golden Circle as Alice. And she also played Jules in The Kids Are Alright. So, um, with this film, uh, it was interesting. I... It's like a poor man's hereditary. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, if, if we focus more on the sun... If, like, the curse and everything was narcissism and just being completely unaware. Um, I liked how silly it was at some points. Like, the mom felt so pretentious you know like she's in her small car her small economy car yeah that doesn't use as much gas she's all for like oh my car's eco and she listens to classical music and she's fighting the good fight of getting her lines repainted for her domestic abuse victims um, parking lot for her domestic abuse victims house and it's like great but then when they were having when they were trying to have like a real moment like there's a woman that came to her crying they're crying with with tears of joy saying you i want to say thank you. i just want to say thank you because you saved my life yes and she was like not really into it you know she was just like okay here's a hug i have a phone call and you know i still i'm still on the phone and then you know the lady left she's like thank you thank you and she like leaves and i was just like well if she's out here talking about well i want to save lives and everything like i mean she missed that you know she wasn't present for that you know she was like oh yeah here's a hug and i'm off complaining about you know getting my lines painted again and i'm just like what is going on and then like later on in the movie too we see her come back home the husband his name's roger played by j.o sander uh, he's been in the day after tomorrow kiss the girls and edge of darkness apparently um, to me, he's not that recognizable. He does look like every other white dad. Anyway, um, he's all like, honey, how's your day? And she goes on to say the most horrifying thing about the day. Now, instead of like a highlight of, hey, a woman said thank you. Or, you know, good afternoon. Yeah. I like she's she returned even, home. She didn't even say like good afternoon back. She was like, oh yeah, my day was like this. It's like, oh my God. You know, she let off already on the most horrifying foot you could imagine and i'm just like she could have said anything you know she could have like i don't know just been a little more positive but i feel like she likes to dwell in that type of realm of my life is so hard or other people's lives are so hard i feel like she's taking on the role of a struggle because she doesn't have one yeah like her her life is not that bad she has very calm house I mean, She's in a nice thing, neighborhood. Exactly. The only thing that's loud is maybe Ziggy's music from time to time, but even then, it's not as loud as it could be. It doesn't disturb other neighbors. Yeah, they have a big enough house where 
they can put on some headphones and chill out, you know? Um, I think Ziggy's an interesting character. What do you think about him? I think he is definitely trying to find his way because he's clearly not getting any guidance from his parents. His parents are very hands-off with him. Like, he's getting the bare minimum of food and clothes. And shelter. Yes, but in terms of, like, getting anything beyond the physical, um, even then, sometimes not the physical, there's a scene where Ziggy comes home and he's just not interested in having dinner. Um, he never says that I'm not going to ever eat it. He never says that, ew, dinner is disgusting. Um, he just says that he's not hungry right now. And he just, you know, goes up to his room, kind of does what his mom does, which is like not even really greeting as soon as you come home. And the mother decides that she's immediately going to take Ziggy's portion and give it to somebody else. And it's like, he never said your stuff was bad. Yeah, I feel, I feel like with the mother and son paralleling each other where like Ziggy wants to be political. He thinks being political is a character trait. And we have Evelyn, the mom, who is full on in her career of helping people, helping at least the women in her neighborhood directly. So she's political, but not in like a way where she's directly saying, you know, the world's going to shit. She's just like, people need help now. I'm going to be there to help them. And it's like a noble thing. But it's also kind of weird how she can be involved like this, but still kind of like not all the way present present or emotionally there. You know, she's not very uh, empathetic. And she latches on to, you know, another, um, I don't want to say client of hers. Um, what do you say? A person that she's helping. Yeah, a person that comes to her shelter for help she latches onto this family, mainly the, the son of this woman who's been in an abusive relationship, and she sees all the things that she wishes Ziggy was, which is helpful, you know, loving, loving the mom, kind, you know, being active and out there in the world and actually doing something because all she sees is Ziggy playing his tunes on live stream. And I don't even think she knows what live stream is because she... Yeah, she says she didn't um, understand anything about that stuff that he does. She yeah. is so uninvolved that she doesn't even want to understand what brings her child happiness. Exactly. Like, how hard is it to just simply ask? Or to, like, sit down and watch him once in a while, you know? I mean, by the end, they finally do kind of sort of have a reconciliation. At least the movie ends, like, on a cliffhanger type where we assume that they finally have an understanding of one another because of the way they look at each other like, hey, I didn't know you did this. It's a very much <laughs> I see you now moment. It's like, whoa, you do this? This is actually kind of cool. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, wow, great. You know, um, but there's a whole lot of small little events that happen in this movie. This movie feels like an indie film. So. I think it is. There's. It's not many people that funded the movie. I think Jesse Eisenberg and Emma Stone funded it themselves. Oh, okay. Because they have their own, you know, money. Yeah. So uh, independently, independently funded and made. But through A24, who, you know, that's what Oh, so paying. this is the A24? Yes. Ah, okay. 
This is also Finn Wolfhard's uh, first adult role transitioning from child actor. Oh, okay. So that's why uh, I think there's an A24 Spotify where he and Sadie Sink actually talk about, oh, growing up famous and how you have to move on from the child things that you did to now the more adult roles that you can do. And uh, they kind of came out back to back together because I think hers came out in December and his came out in January. So it was kind of like your classmate and you doing this big monument. Monumental yeah. shift in their career. Yeah. Nice. Like they were. I know people thought that this movie was very controversial um, because of that one scene. With the poem? Yes. With the most, okay. you know, unsexiest poem ever. Okay. Um, but then again, like this movie too what I feel like also suffered a little bit from just like with Bones and All is that this could have been also a movie where we got a little bit of a voiceover. It wasn't as, and I don't remember if there was any voiceover, but it wasn't as uneasy to understand without a voiceover like, say, Lady Bird. Yeah. Which also dealt with like mother issues. Yeah. I like Lady Bird more. Maybe I'm partial because I'm a girl. But I like Lady Bird more. I uh, feel like I can relate more to Lady Bird trying to figure her own self out. Because she actually had, like, an identity that she was trying to form. Yeah. And then we do act- later on see her go to college. Whereas with this, with with when you're done or finished saving the world, he's still in, you know, high school. So he's still pretty young. And he's still worried about things that don't matter don't really i mean i I understand the world is burning but you can't do anything for the people halfway across the world because all those organizations are taking your money anyway might as well just figure out how to help your local community like you said give them give them a vacation yeah because there's still a need for entertainment and that's the big difference between him and his mom is that he doesn't as a as a child because he's a teenager he doesn't really know how to express to his mom that there will always be a need for entertainment just as much as there is a need for like people like you who provide the shelter and the stepping stones to get your life back on track um, after you've left an abusive situation. Yeah. But she is not that type of person that understands entertainment. Yeah. But it's not being shown like it was in their audiobook. Which is why a lot of people have said that the audiobook is better and that they're kind of slightly disappointed with the movie. Um, Not for the actors. The actors did what they could. But just the the translation wasn't as heavily um, cared for into the new medium like it was with Bones and All's book where they easily translated to make it understandable. Yeah. Did you like the audiobook more? I will say I did like the audio book more simply because we got the full spectrum of why the mom is the way she is and why Ziggy's dad is also a part of his upbringing where they kind of nerf the dad in the movie and so it just makes it seem like it's all the mother's fault as to why Ziggy is the way he is when it's like a two-parent household and we do see just only a few you know, inklings of the dad not really understanding Ziggy either. And though he doesn't shut Ziggy down like the mother does, he also isn't actively 
you know, asking more about yeah. his lifestyle. And the few times that he does, Ziggy doesn't, like, respect him yeah. enough to, like, explain what he does to his dad. So... It just feels like with Ziggy's character, he doesn't feel like he can go to his parents or anything. And because he's an only child, it's not like he can bounce off any of these ideas to his siblings, because he has none. And so he seems like a very isolated, sad, lonely boy. And honestly, if it wasn't for his like music streaming service thing that he has going on for him, he, in my opinion, fits like the description of like, oh, he's an isolated boy who might, you know, be prone to violence. Yeah. But because he's using an art form he has some bit of an outlet yeah but he's also scared to be deep because he thinks that's not going to make any money there was the scene where he was telling his dad about how he has anxieties and insecurities about like these very dense feelings in his like that he never expresses to anyone and he doesn't think that's worth writing a song about but then when he does um a poem that you know is about deep feelings uh and he sees that it does successfully it's like he's opened up a new world even though he did it in a very wrong and exploitative way where he's like oh so there is an avenue for people that want to listen to these very moving things and not just happy bubblegum pop music yeah but again because there's no guidance for him he has to do this by himself on his own and he also has to figure it out without um, anyone helping him develop a sense of awareness. Yeah. Which is even harder because now he has this narcissistic, unaware, having to essentially raise yourself um, because your parents kind of just checked out. Yeah. Or, and it's not, like they're, it's not like his parents are like busy with work. No, they like have a his, lot of time. His father is like an retired. academic. If he is, if he isn't retired, he is very like chill and at home most of the time. Yeah, it looks whenever like they Iggy, make up their own hours. Whenever Ziggy gets home, he's there, you know. And the mom is there as well. If she's not working too late, she can be there. And also, she owns the place, yeah, so I, she can make up her own hours as well. I think it's a bit sad when you look at it at how Ziggy is basically living a lifestyle of a child whose parents you would think is, you know, can't do or look at him or do for him because they're subjected to going to their work all the time and being outside of the house. Whereas like Ziggy feels like a latchkey kid, despite the fact that his parents have the means and are shown to be in the house. They're not going anywhere. They're not, yeah. um, they're not, you know, a slave to their job or they're not outside trying to fight the landlord around anything. Yeah. Uh, and it's more disheartening because they're always there yeah, and yet like they're, they're still absent. They're choosing not to engage yes. in their own son. They're very absent with him. And which, I feel like that's the reason why, worse. yeah, I feel like that's the reason why he latches on to um, his crush so much because she is willing to be nice to him and look at him and involve him in the conversation yes, involve him in the conversation or she's like you know reassuring to him that he's not stupid um just because he's not political and it's like he's getting this like sense of praise and acceptance and tolerance that he just doesn't get with his family 
Yeah. Yeah, it just uses that crush as like a distraction. Yeah, like they could have been really cool friends, but he didn't think that he could seek friendship. Because yeah. he, like, just like that, he doesn't have that many friends. And he doesn't have any siblings, so his socialization is also very poor. Yeah. Um, and let's see. I think the last thing that we watched together um, recently was Pinocchio, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. It is a musical. Um, so <laughs> that was a struggle. Um, I don't know if you like or don't like musicals but I do not like musicals I don't like musicals no okay the only musical I, I will say is a really cool thing of Langer is the Prince of Egypt and maybe Aladdin sometimes because I was a kid and that's all we had for like a black princess at the time um, but other than that those are like the only two movies that I would not mind watch. Oh, and Nightmare Before Christmas. Those songs are not that bad. I love the soundtrack to that. But anyway, on Pinocchio. Pinocchio is a strange movie in terms of, I can see it was a passion project and a love letter to um, Guillermo del Toro's mother because in one of the interviews that he did, he said that Pinocchio was one of the first movies, if not the first movie that he watched in theaters with his mother when he was a child and so that holds like a special memory for him and also strange enough we can't get rid of him Finn Wolfhard is also in this movie though he doesn't play Pinocchio no he plays the general's son, son yes Candlewick I think they called him they had him singing in what what Italian Ita okay they had him singing in Italian yes which uh, I mean we wouldn't be able to tell if he was fluent in it or not but, um, uh, but there's I not a single Italian bone in Finn's body. I think that I think that was interesting and funny. Um, I have to find a new word besides interesting. Outside of all of that, though, the animation was really good. The animation I feel like was it the looks, best part. It felt flawless. Yes. It didn't feel like a stop motion. No, it didn't. And then, like, if you look at the behind the scenes, like, the characters, are, they are bigger than normal size. Um, oh, yeah. It's claymation, stop motion um, like models. 14 inches. Big. Yeah. Which is not the standard. But yeah. everything about this movie was not the standard. Not the musical song choices. Um, the songs are okay, but I feel like together is a bit jumbled in the movie because there's a lot of singing, almost like Les Mis type of singing. But whereas Les Mis was, you know, expounding Le upon the lore. Le Les Mis had every single word being sung, yes. which I found excessive. Whereas with at least Pinocchio, it was more like they would be talking and then out of nowhere, they would start bursting it out into It's, it's not your song. standard, like, it's not your easy palatable, like Disney, musical or any other musical that gives up. you like at least two or three sentences of like a, maybe characters disputing before they burst into song or characters like saying the most sweetest love words to each other and then bursting into song this was like a person is just walking they say like one thing the next thing i know they've burst into a musical and start dancing 
I have to say, like, the one that I can remember recently is the animated Beauty and the Beast, When whenever they burst into song. It was because they were... They wanted to do exposition, but with the emotion behind it. Instead of them just sitting there giving us a monologue, they did it in the form of a song. So, like, in that way, when we look at Beauty and the Beast, or almost any almost any um, old-school classic Disney film, the songs had a purpose. They were moving along something in that scene that would have been done in a long monologue, but they got it done in like a two-minute song. And then they went off into the next scene, and then, you know, and that was that. And the next scene may or may not have a song, but the song had a purpose of there's swelling of emotion, I feel like talking about this, what's going on in my head, what I'm feeling in my heart, let me sing about it. Whereas with Pinocchio, they're just singing to sing because uh, yeah. it was time for a song. We didn't really need them to sing to get the story. Yeah. Um, and that was the problem I felt like with the songs, which was he was still able to show a lot of what he wanted to show, so there was really no need for it to even be musical in the first place. Yeah. Because it's not like he minced anything or chopped something off, and now he has to, like, find a way to connect those pieces together. Yeah. And I just felt like that wasn't that great. Also, um, but besides, like, the, the musical part and the fact that, in my personal opinion, the singing, the singers weren't that great either... Um, I did find it, um... It felt like they pitched their voices. Yes. Definitely, it felt like they had to pitch certain people's voices, because, like, if he's, like, Finn is older, but he has to play a child, it felt, like, very... I feel like his voice is not that deep. Not deep. I feel like he could have played a child through the voice anyway. Well, it I meant, like, because it's singing. It so we can really like... tell who's who. And the singing part with him was actually interesting because in one part where they do have him sing Italian, it didn't seem to matter because it was everybody singing. They were at church. So yeah. I was like, well, what is the point of this? It's not like he stands out. <laughs> yeah. You know? So that's why I'm all like, is he off key? Or like, no, it's like everybody's conforming. So I don't know why. Yeah, the main theme of Pinocchio is... Conformity. <laughs> yeah. Conform, conform, conform. You're not a human. Conform. Um, but there is, of course, some interesting uh, layers of magic and war. Um, as per usual with Guillermo del Toro, he always has some mythical thing going on and always something about war, a mention of war or, at, or actual war. Um... But that concludes my thoughts on Pinocchio. Um, it is not a child's film, I don't think, you know, because there's a whole lot of stuff in there that I don't really know how you would try to explain war to a child like that if they were to watch this film. But if you're a fan of Guillermo del Toro, you know, you'll already know what to expect. Um, but anyway, we're running a little late on our time. Um, before our next episode, we'll be talking about, um, film and media about black people and black main characters, 
like Gwendolyn Wilde? Yeah, like Gwendolyn Wilde, all of the Get Out stuff, um, You People that came out, um, and... There's gonna be a new one with David Harbour in it with the... We Have a Ghost. Yes. Um, that I don't think has come out yet. I think it's coming out this year. This month. Yeah. Because it's Black History Month. Yes. And the main characters for that are also black. So we'll discuss black things for Black History Month. Anyway, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. I hope you have a beautiful time.